The following program contains themes and images that may not be suitable for most audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Panda Pig Inc. Rate, review, and subscribe. Hello again. It's Panda. And it's Pig. What's good? What's good? <laughs> Are you ready for this episode? No. I didn't think you were. Nope. Not prepared at all. <laughs> this is literally Pig's favorite episode. Well, I have a lot of favorites, mm-hmm. and it's hard to choose the best one, but on my list, I'd probably consider this one like a go-to rewatch episode of and, how much I love it. I mean, your go-to episodes are usually seasons one through like five, so yeah. I mean, I don't blame you. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good one. Okay? It really is. And it's also a good one because it's the first episode... Um, well, it's the second episode that is directed and written by the same people who directed and wrote the pilot. So that's Greg, I will never learn to say this right, Greg <laughs> Yatans, 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 <laughs> and Hart Hansen. We love Hart Hansen. Mm-hmm. Anything Hart Hansen touches is just gold. Yes, gorgeous, Ugh. gorgeous, lovely. Lovely. Love mm-hmm. it. <laughs> so I really like this episode. It's very character driven instead oh, yes. of being too much, I would say, science or evidence driven. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of the nature of the episode. So we learn a lot about the characters, like really a lot more about their personal life. And it's really, it's nice. It's really nice. Yep. So the summary of this episode mm-hmm. is essentially that bones and pretty much everybody's in the lab preparing for a company christmas party and booth comes up with a surprise body that they found and um bones says she's going to take a look at it for booth he wants to avoid some paperwork he wants her to kind of come up with a quick answer of what happened yep and when hodgins and zach are taking a look at the evidence uh, some spores are released because Zach is sawing into the bone. Dun, dun, dun. Hodgins doesn't have his mask on. The spores get into the air and for somehow their system depicts this foreign, what do you call, substance in the air? Particulates, I guess. Particulates in the air. Mm-hmm. And everybody gets locked down in the lab. Hashtag quarantine life. For Christmas. <laughs> And the episode is about them solving the case mm-hmm. and being stuck together in the lab for the holiday. To avoid causing a pandemic. Correct. So it's kind of topical for <laughs> Life. <laughs> the current times. Life. <laughs> um, but also, it's got a lot of sweet moments. Oh, yeah, for sure. Lots of comedy. Mm-hmm. Lots of emotion. Heartfelt moments. Yeah, and it's pretty good. Yeah, let's get it. So let's get into it, okay? Are you ready? I'm ready. All so right. the first scene, Angela's trying to convince Bones to come to the company Christmas party. They're in the lab. Um, but Bones wants to finish something up. She's, what is she doing? 
she's doing some sort of paperwork or right. something. And Angela's like, come on, let's go. Mm-hmm. And then Booth arrives with the body yeah. that they found in a fallout shelter that he, they believed he died about 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and by looking at the picture, Bones doesn't believe that it's a suicide. Nope. So I watched this episode with my sister and she pointed out how when Booth comes up to the platform, he has to swipe his card. Mm -hmm. But when the other agents come to bring up the body and stuff, they don't swipe a card or anything. They just walk right onto the platform. And Booth didn't swipe or anything? No. He's already on the platform. and then. But he didn't swipe them up so they could come up? No. No. He's standing there by bones on the platform, waves them over, and they just walk right up. Uh, All righty then. Well, that was a good observation. I know. I didn't even pick it up. She was like, (laughs) they don't have to swipe. And I was like, oh, I guess not. We had to rewatch it. (laughs) Actually, all of the kind of continuity issues she picked up and I wasn't paying attention to. So It's because you were busy fangirling. (laughs) I was busy fangirling. My first thought was like, wow, look at that. We arrived to a Christmas episode. You know, last episode was crazy. You know, some BDSM criminals. (laughs) You know, we totally skip over Thanksgiving and voila. Christmas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so bones. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I don't have a lot of insightful commentary. I just kind of gush about why I like it. Yeah. I mean, I have some thoughts. I mean, like, for instance, when they were talking about the body before they brought in the body, mm-hmm. it was crazy to me how Booth jumped to suicide. Like, when they yeah. said hole in the head with a gun in the picture equals suicide. I was like, hold on. Hold up, Booth. Seriously? Right, especially with your expertise. Right. And considering of the placement of the gun and everything. Yes, but I guess I feel like this episode wanted to, you know, point out how just because there's a bullet wound doesn't mean, uh, you know, that the gun next to it really Mm -hmm. did it. Like the person who died did the shooting. It's a very common trope in a lot of true crime, not true crime, (laughs) fictional crime shows uh, for quasi-suicide episodes where the victim is holding a gun and it's like, oh, they're holding a gun in their right hand, but they were actually left-handed. You know, things <laughs> very, like Very, yeah, very cliche. Yeah. But I like how it continues where Booth continues to just bring the body to Bones like, ta-da, yes. I got a gift for you. Yes. It's all for you. He has so much enthusiasm when in he this brings episode cases too, to Bones. especially just yeah. in general. Not even just bringing the body. He has so much, but then again, that's the drugs. Yeah, he's a still. cute little nugget in this episode. He really is a sensitive nugget. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then uh, transitions to the next scene where we're focusing on Hodgins and Zach, who are of course an adorable duo in this episode as well. Of course. And uh, Zach is showing Hodgins his robot, but the robot doesn't quite seem to follow directions. You know, it kind of does the opposite. And Hodgins is like, wow, look at that. It's you as a robot. And this whole kind of scene is like connected to the rest of the episode. So like Hodgins talking about spiking the eggnog Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's kind of a foreshadowing to their personal Christmas party and why they're there. And then the the robot comes into play later as well for the secret Santa. Um, I love that robot. It's so cute. I want that robot. (laughs) Yeah. It's adorable. (laughs) Uh, I think of that YouTube video. (laughs) What YouTube video? The sex robot. 
Ah, okay. The whitest kids you know. Um, they're this comedy sketch. Their videos are hilarious. It's so funny. Um, what is it? Like 2009? 11? 11? Like around like the- 2010. That's a good even number. 2010s is kind of their area. Hilarious. They've got sex robot. They've got a whole bunch of Were they racist skits. coffee too? No, racist coffee is Julian Oh, yeah, Smith. yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. There's yeah. two different ones. No, why does kids you know- I would watch them at the same time, that's why. I would compare it to, like, just, you know, they just did sketch comedy. They had this... A lot of silly, silly videos they did. (laughs) Yes. And Sex Robot was one of them. So funny. (laughs) Really? Um, But Julian Smith, great... um, (laughs) YouTuber? Classic YouTuber. Racist Coffee. That one was so funny. Hot Kool-Aid. Yeah. You in Five Minutes. Uh, YouTube videos. Just look them up if you want to laugh. They're great funny. stuff. They're old but fun. <laughs> old? Don't say they're old. They're old now. They're not that old. They're very cheesy. <sighs> You're breaking my heart. It's cheesy. You'll we survive. are too young to be old. We are too young. We definitely pulled an all-nighter and we felt so young and old at the same time. It's happening. Yeah. I think the thing that sucks about um, this day and age is that you start feeling older, younger. Yep. It's weird. Like Make we're it in stop. Our, we're in our mid-20s, and I feel like... I we feel old. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's too soon. It's too soon. Or not. This is the end, guys. No. We're, we're coming to it. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Let me hold on to my youth. Okay. Uh, whatever. It'll be fine. So Bones is looking. Maybe we through. should go to the Star Wars convention that Booth doesn't want to go to, and we'll feel oh, young again. Yeah. Was that in this scene where he says, it, "Oh yeah, that's right." Mm-hmm. In the in the scene before, he's like, um, Bones asks Booth if he went to the Christmas party, and he's like, "You mean that Star Wars convention?" Yeah. And I was like, "Um, excuse me, Booth. <laughs> Are we yeah. about to fight right now?" Yeah. And I thought it was sweet that Angela cares enough to come back from the party and nag them to come to the party. So here, Booth is like, yep, that's a Star Wars convention. And Angela's like, come on, guys. I even right. left the party. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is the scene. So Bones mm-hmm. finds two tickets to Paris on the body. Mm-hmm. Zach and Hodgins are on their way to go... Sp- Excuse me, are on their way to go spike the eggnog. Yeah, because Hodgins was like, we have pure alcohol here, guys. Yes. And brewing. (laughs) And Bones stops them to make them go look at the new remains. And Angela's pissed because she wants everyone to get up to the party ASAP. Yeah. And Booth is like, whoa, Bones, Merry Christmas. Like, geez. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. what's the deal? Hodgins and Zach running to go spike the eggnog is so adorable. They're just like, okay, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> like, they're just like two little kids holding, uh, you know, the <laughs> Trying the, not to the run punch bowl. They're like, <laughs> like, like, let's go. so <laughs> cute. And then Angela's, of course, the linchpin, obvi- always. Mm. And too cute wanting everybody to, you know, be a part of the party. And then Zach and Hodgins' face, because Angela kind of gives this speech where she's like, you're going to go to the party and you're going to go to the party. And Booth, you're going to kiss me under the mistletoe. And um, mistletoe. And Zach and Hodgins, I may let you kiss me as well. And the look on their faces. And then she looks she at Brennan that. like, I may kiss you too. In a festive non-lesbian type of way. Yeah. <laughs> they're too funny i just love like okay guys i you guys don't see this but you'll see it when you when you're watching this on our youtube channel Mm -hmm. in the timestamps 
All I'm seeing right now is one of Angela's quotes where Pig wrote, friends don't let other friends photocopy their bets. Oh, yeah, that's the first scene. That's yes. what I named the first one. She did. Sometimes it's a quote from that scene or sometimes it's just what I feel about that scene. <laughs> that's pretty much what happens, but this is all I'm looking at. So when I think of Angela, I just keep thinking that she photocopied her butt and how she had to grab it all. And I'm like, all right. Yeah, have that's fun. when um, Angela was trying to convince Bones to come to the party. And she's yeah. like, come on, I photocopied my butt last year. Friends don't let other friends photocopy their butts. Yeah, because she was like, she had to go gather all the pictures wherever they were. She was like, oh my gosh, I had to get them all by myself. Yes, yes, yes. True friendship. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then, so, anyways, Bones tells Zach and Hodgins, you know, she wants Zach to clean the bones, you yes. know, examine the bones. She wants Hodgins to deal with the particulates. And... Lo and behold, here comes Pig's favorite scene. One of the best scenes in Bones history. It's literally timestamped this part, guys. There is literally a, a, a thread on the Bones Reddit about this scene. Well, th- this scene in particular, okay? <laughs> okay. So, um, Zach, you know, is looking um, to saw the bone to get a spore sample and while he's doing that hodgins is supposed to be covering his face with um a face mask as per protocol Mm -hmm. but he's not he's kind of hovering it over his face and he reaches to go drink some eggnog and the contaminants from the bone um fly up into the air obviously going into the vent system and sets off the biohazard alarm Zach and Hodgins here go off and they rush to the decontamination chamber and basically it quarantines the lab, like the doors shut and everything goes crazy. And when everyone's looking around, Zach and Hodgins run out of, you know, the room (laughs) and they're both shirtless in towels. I was just like, wait, hold on. Come on, Hodgins. Not only are you drinking, but open drink while Zach is cutting into the bone. Like, you are literally bug slime particulate guy. Like, dude, you should know know better. But, I mean, it led us to towel scene. And whoever decided to go with the towel scene, yeah. Hodgins is so beautiful in this. Chef's kiss. (laughs) It lasts like a half a second, but if you notice when the camera flashes back to Angela, you see her smiling (laughs) while she's looking at them. And I'm like, "Mm, I too am stunned by Hodgins' excellence. (laughs) I too am. Yes. 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 Beautiful. Beautiful scene. Our TikToks prove it. (laughs) I really don't have much commentary to it except for just a hormonal response so these are facts anyways i won't i won't um simp and swoon too much i'll go to the next scene you sure so you sure you want to move on to the next scene yeah i named this scene i object to them having to go get dressed (laughs) right i mean i don't blame you (laughs) the contaminant turns out to be valley fever and because hodgins could have inhaled the spores um, He's he exhaling, exhaling it right on the rest of the gang. So yeah. the bo- big boss determines they're going to be quarantined until they can determine if everyone had been infected. Yep. Because yeah. they don't want to cause a pandemic. Yeah. So I was looking to see if those were kind of accurate portrayals of, of the, the process. Yeah. And I was looking at the symptoms of valley fever. So it says you may have a fever, chills, chest pain, a dry cough, and a rash. Um, The time from contact with the fungus until symptoms start is usually one to three weeks. 
Oh, wow. This is called the incubation period. <laughs> In rare cases, valley fever can spread to the skin, bones, lymph nodes, and organs. Yikes. Big yikes. And then they also said that it would take a couple of days for the test, and I wanted to verify that too. So according to the CDC website, they can test for valley fever by a blood test, but it takes a couple of days to process. Interesting. Um, and again, I also don't care for the fact that they put clothes back on Hodgins. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's, it's just okay. how I feel. Grumpy, shirtless Hodgins. Yeah, I love a grumpy man. You know. But yeah, so He's I just thought that was well. kind of interesting. <laughs> you know, so. Oh, gosh. Kind of accurate. Yeah. About it. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we said, guys, it's going to be hard to have some commentary because we're just like, <laughs> it's a lot of like speechless fangirling. Yeah. And we're just like. Yes. Who contain ourselves? Well, as the episode goes on, I feel like we get more into the deeper kind of characterization that makes me really like this episode. I feel like the first half is a lot more comedy and, you know, female fanfare. But as we go on, it gets deeper. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. We'll see what we can do. Yeah. So Bones and Zach then examine the remains Mm -hmm. and Zach finds a woman's wedding band and a toupee. I was surprised it was a woman's wedding band because I thought it was a little big Mm. for a woman, but that was my opinion. I don't know anything about ring sizes. (laughs) Nothing. I don't know. It just seemed bigger than what I was thinking. I guess maybe in that moment. And then I was like, toupee? I thought it was just a ponytail, but all right. (laughs) Well, I think... It was originally in a different position, and when they put in the evidence That's bag, probably what that was. You know, they put a rubber band around it and stuff like that. Probably. Because to me, it looked like just a plain old ponytail that they just cut off. Mm-hmm. So then, <laughs> um, you know, the they arrive with injections, like antifungal drugs. She's talking drugs. about the hazmat team comes in with antifungal drugs. Yes. And they say, obviously, they won't know for a couple of days if everyone's infected. And basically, they're going to be there for over Christmas Eve. And, you know, the gang kind of points fingers at everybody at who's at fault. Um, But one of the side effects of the antifungal drugs is hallucinations. Euphoria! And Booth is over there in the corner, like, staring at the lights. He's like, look at the pretty lights. And they're like, oh my gosh, no fair. Yeah, specifically, like, um, they're all kind of pointing fingers, and then at the end, Zach is like, Booth used um, Bones's workaholic nature to ditch some paperwork. <laughs> yeah. And Bones like is like, well, I, like, she doesn't even try to argue against it. She's just like, well, if I was, where is it she wanted to be? Was it in Niger? Yeah. Yeah, she's like, if I was in Niger, like, I wanted to be, this wouldn't have even happened. So she doesn't even deny her yeah. workaholicness. She's, she doesn't. But it's funny, though, because prior, prior to that, they all start pointing fingers at each other. Like, oh, it was your fault for this. Oh, your fault for this. It was so funny. It was adorable. And we're just like, guys, you're all quarantined. So it doesn't even matter who's at fault now. It's just happening. And <laughs> then I love how Booth is the high one and he's staring at the lights. He's like, look at this shiny stuff. It's so <laughs> shiny. And Hodgins like, okay, this is not fair. You get to be high. It continues, too, because they move on to the scene where they're having, like, a sleepover. And Booth is still like, so what are those lights again? Yes. 
Yeah, so they're all kind of in separate rooms. So Zach and um, Hodgins are Hodgins in one room. Are in one room, and hot, and they're all. Everyone's kind of talking about what they would be doing. You know, mm-hmm. Hodgins shares how he's supposed to be in Quebec with this model, and then Zach talks about how he's supposed to be in Michigan with his family. Not only it's like what are they doing, it's like what Christmas means to each of them. Yes. Yes, and mm-hmm. then Booth, still stoned, is in the bone room. It was some room with Dr. Goodman. I just know that. I couldn't tell. All I know is yeah. he just kept staring at lights. Yes, and we learned that Dr. Goodman has a wife and two twin five-year-old daughters. Mm-hmm. And we also learned that Booth has a four-year-old son, Parker. Parker. <laughs> and he reveals how Parker's mom wouldn't marry him, so he sees Parker sporadically. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And then in another room, we've got Angela and Bones. And Angela, of course, is adorable and is like, we need to make Christmas for everyone. And um, Bones is like, but you called it Secret Satan, you know? <laughs> yeah. And she's always like, are we doing this just because we're the girls? And Angela's like, yes. Yeah, pretty you much. Know? She's so cute. Because she was like talking about like, oh, we should decorate. We should do Secret Santa. Yeah. Etc. Et and then randomly, like in mid conversation, all of a sudden Angela's like talking about how sad it is about the um victim. The victim and she's like how the loved ones never knew what happened. And Bones is like, I don't have to wonder. And so she's t- going to take the opportunity to solve the case for the victim's family as what she's doing for Christmas. And that became like a big red flag because I guess no one really knew like whatever, like why Bones is grumpy, and that was the red flag for Angela that went off. Like, oh crap! Yes, that's why Bones doesn't like Christmas. Her parents left her mm-hmm. around Christmas. Yeah, Ugh, so it'd be we learned. like that. But I thought it was just really sweet to learn. Like this episode is just so nice. It's just really yeah. refreshing getting to learn more about the characters. It's got a good flow to it. And how we learn about Boots' kid, I was like, I thought about this even later, too, where I was just like, I love Parker. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. I love Parker. And I love, I think it's the same actor, too, throughout the rest of the seasons. It is. And I'm sitting here like, so, um, did you guys plan to give Booth a kid in the very beginning? Or did you just decide to throw it in there knowing you guys didn't even really tell us much about Booth in the first place? Kind of like how Angela's dad is famous. You guys just want to throw it in there randomly? Right. I think with Booth, it doesn't, it kind of feels random, but it doesn't feel like out of place, you know? It doesn't feel like it's, like it doesn't fit with the story. But at the same time, what makes it weird is that he feels comfortable randomly revealing it to Dr. Goodman. But I guess, you know, he is kind of high on the antifungal drugs. So I guess that makes sense of why he's maybe more forthcoming about it. In for this me, episode. it was more like, even though, like, there's not really much room for him to mention it in the other episodes. I don't know. Usually if you have a kid, you're more likely to talk about your kid in general. Well, if you Just th- bringing him up. You know? Well, if you think about it, he doesn't really talk a lot about his personal life in general. The only yeah, thing we I get mean. about his personal life is his relationship, his former relationship with Tessa, and that's not really of his decision. It's everyone else deciding to talk about it. Yeah. And he doesn't really bring it up, 
even yeah. when he was with her. So I guess it kind of makes sense, but I can also see where you're coming from. Yeah, because it's also like, you know, they easily could have thrown that in there. Like, oh, yeah, here's a kid now. <laughs> yeah. But I like Parker, so it's nice. You get to see him more, like, father side. Yeah, really me too. I like Booth as a dad. <laughs> good dad. He is. And then yeah. it just, oh, so sad. So because Bones, you know, shot up, she's in the lab on the platform, and she's looking through a microscope, obviously looking at evidence, and it's like in the middle of the morning, and Booth pops up. Like a weasel. High, like a weasel and talks to Bones kind of about the Christmas spirit and the man upstairs. Stone Booth is the best Booth. Like, Pretty much any character high is elite. He was like, he just jumps up and he's like, Bones, guess what? It's the <laughs> eve of Christmas. It's midnight. It's the Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, um, Bones is talking about, you know, how... You know, obviously, Booth is Catholic, mm-hmm. and she's like, well, Jesus wasn't even born in December, December, you know? Yeah. And I was looking it up about when Christmas started being celebrated mm-hmm. in December, and so I have a little factoid. All right. Pick a From Wikipedia. <laughs> so it says <laughs> the um, – actually, sorry. This is his – words. <laughs> this is from – Britannica.com. Um, it's that the church of the church in Rome began formally celebrating Christmas on December 25th in 336 during the reign of the Emperor Constantine, who is a very important figure in essentially modern Christianity as he became a Christian and basically, you know, is the reason why. Christianity is the biggest thing, like, in places outside of, you know, the Middle East in kind of where. Yeah. So, like, he kind of spread it across Europe and beyond. But what was the reason for making it December so, 25th? Sorry. <laughs> so, as <laughs> Constantine had made Christianity the effective religion of the empire, some speculated that he, that choosing this date had the political motive of weakening the established pagan celebrations around that time. Yeah. So, oh it was kind gosh. of more like everyone's, uh, uh, <laughs> my empire is Christian now. So, um, I guess in comparison, it would kind of be like America <laughs> establishing a holiday in December to compete with Christmas because they've got a new religion, if that makes sense. You know, I believe it. So the I date feel like was America does the, it in general, though. the date was not widely accepted in the Eastern Empire, yeah, where January six was favored. And for another half a century. And Christmas didn't become a major Christian festival until the nineteenth until the ninth century. So <laughs> most Christians weren't even celebrating Christmas. I thought that was just interesting. So it's not an argued fact that Christmas wasn't born in December. Yeah. It's just when it's celebrated. That's funny. Interesting, it's really funny. huh? <laughs> and then um I also like Booth's line about uh, the man upstairs where he's, like, telling Bones, you can't measure the man upstairs in your beakers. Yeah. He you goes, know? you have a problem it with was the just man so upstairs because you can't measure him in your little beakers here. Yeah. It's so random and funny to me. 
but um <laughs> it's because he's stone stone booth is best booth i know <laughs> i know so i i don't know um light religion talk in this episode but um i like how you know booth kind of stands his ground and sometimes he can be very hypocritical with his faith but um isn't I just, that anyone I, though of course but I like the dynamic. I oh, like yeah, for sure. Um, how you get to see the different sides of the coin with them and how they work. Mm-hmm. Not as a couple yet, but as you know, companions, yes. work colleagues. Mm-hmm. They work out. So a couple of hours later, it's breakfast time. Indeed, and they discuss doing a secret Santa with handmade gifts. You like how when the scene opens, you just casually see Booth working out. Oh, you know I noticed. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and you two see his chin chip ups, again. Just two chin ups. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But you see his poker chip again. Did you yep. see it? Yeah. Yes, I did. I was like, there it is again. Because they're like, Booth, you good? And he's like, Yep. And then you see his chip. Mm-hmm. The part where Angela likes, like, we're going to do Secret Santa in exchange handmade gifts. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, Panda. <laughs> like, the <laughs> way <me>. the way <laughs> Angela wants to just create an atmosphere for people. I was like, I could not remember the word atmosphere halfway through me saying it. <laughs> but the way she wants to create an atmosphere for people and making the most of a bad situation, that's what it reminds me of you. <laughs> You know. It's funny. I didn't even think of that. I was too busy focusing on the fact, like, when they were talking about doing Secret Santa, you have Zach Hodgins and Dr. Goodman trying to figure out how to do it, dude. but you have Booth and Angela looking at each other. They exchange these looks dude. and start laughing. <laughs> and then they're like, all they do is you see Angela has the bucket, Booth starts ripping up some paper, writes some names, puts it in the bucket, and yeah. as, you know, the guys are... Throwing up ideas. He's like, just draw a name. I know. Pick a name. I love that. They're making it complicated for no reason. Yeah. Was it Zach or something? He's like, I could build a generator. (laughs) They said so many things. I was like, I lost track. At this point, I don't don't even know. I don't even know. I think at one point, Zach was, or Hodgins was like, we could pick like whoever says this number or something. I'm like, dude, that doesn't make sense. I know. Um, but they also talk about how Bones is adamant about solving this case because her parents went missing That's around Christmas That's when Angela brought time. that up. She's the yep. one who made them know, like, hey, I think I figured it out why she don't like Christmas. And mm-hmm. they were like, oh, my God. Yes. That's why. Secrets revealed in dun, this episode. Dun, dun. Yeah. Totally. You like how it continues where secrets keep getting told, whether it's your place or not, to spill them. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So Booth oh, and gosh. Bones are there's a lot of walking. I it's tough for scenes in this episode obviously because they're all stuck in the lab. So yeah. all scenes take place in the lab. So yeah. sometimes they're just walking to random places but talking as if they're in a hurry to get somewhere. Yeah. You know, if you kind of notice that, yeah. So, like, in this scene, Bones and Booth are walking kind of in that upstairs platform where the lobby is and um we are kind of learning more about the fallout shelter yeah. that the body was found in. Turns out it was built and sealed in the 50s. And we learned that the victim had a bad back, so he probably walked with a hunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
Booth and Bones talk about, you know, that they're going to do a Secret Santa, and Bones is, like, super critical of gift giving. Like, she says, like, anthropologically, it can be uh, an assertion of dominance, you know, and yeah. she kind of she kind of shows more of her sensitivity about Christmas. She's a little triggered. She's just not. She's really not into this. Like she's no. just like I want nothing to do with this. Like I feel like it's obvious. Like it's so obvious to be critical of Christmas in modern times for you know the materialism and the shopping, like Black Friday. Yeah, you know things like oh, that sure, sure, and sure. how it's commercialized. But I think. I cannot get behind the idea that gift giving is supposed to be an assertion <laughs> of dominance. Like, you lost me there. <laughs> In a way, if you think about it with Secret Santas, it could be because it's just like, or no, what I'm saying is instead of doing Secret Santa, it could be because it's all more of like, okay, who got the better gift? Who gave the better gift? Like, for all you know, you're giving a better gift to someone than their significant other is giving Yeah, them. but I feel like that's very person-specific rather than society-specific. Yeah. Because I feel like a good chunk of people, obviously, like, that's that can be, like, a love language. Like, giving gifts or receiving gifts, obviously. I feel like she could also be taking it from more of, like, you know status what can you afford to give someone and the more expensive the better type of thing as well that's obviously a stretch but you know she could also be taking it that way she didn't really elaborate on the whole concept though i yield to that i could Mm -hmm. see that i could see that yeah because Uh, sometimes when people think gifts they don't always think you know meaning sometimes they think what's the most expensive gift i can get you you know Mm, sometimes that's also another thought true i do know some people who are like they give a gift and they're like it's less about the them them seeing you enjoy it, and it's more like, look at what good of a person I am because I gave you this gift. Look, look at, at what this good price of a tag I that I put mm-hmm. on here. There are a few people I know like that, so I guess yeah. I guess I do see what you mean there. She could also be referring to the fact that, like you know, Christmas could be an excuse for people to give gifts in return. As well as receiving, like, giving and receiving. Because sometimes when you give gifts, she could be thinking in general, giving gifts is a way of asserting dominance because you're showing how much of a good person you are. But even though you're technically shouldn't really expecting something in return, you could be. True. And you're trying to be like, oh, hey, are you asserting, you showing me what you've got in your wallet? You know? What's in your wallet? (laughs) So these are some of my thoughts when she was saying that. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah there's a couple of different ways in which she could have been, you know, referring to. They didn't really say. That makes sense. Yeah. What do you <laughs> see Christmas as? Do you see it more on the side of the materialistic evil side, asserting your dominance? Or do you see it more on the charitable um, <laughs> giving side? It's kind of like how with, like, Thanksgiving, how everything just kind of loses its meaning. So it's more of what does it mean to you? At the end of the day, because mm. remember how with Thanksgiving, you know, the history is pretty messed up. And then it became a, th- a holiday of giving thanks. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's also, uh, you know, appreciating people around you. And then now mm-hmm. it's all about Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah. So I- with Christmas, it's kind of similar concept in my opinion where it's like first it's supposed to be this but then 
it's not like first it's supposed to be you know Jesus' birthday, but his birthday is not even in, in December. And then other points is like you know meaning of Christmas is like you know spending joy, spreading joy and love and giving gifts to people you love. But then it becomes more cynical in a way. I guess for me, as like a religious holiday, it's kind of weird because it's like, it's his birthday, but you're giving other people <laughs> gifts, you know? And it's like not even really his birthday, so it's even more weird. And you ever think about how, like, sometimes how very ingenuine a lot of gifts are? Like, if they're not Secret Santa, because usually Secret Santa, it's not... Sometimes you have the versions of, you know, you request the gift... Mm-hmm. Then there's the other secret Santa where you get the person and you choose the gift for them. And what's the whole deal with the Christmas tree? And why do the presents go underneath it? I have a feeling. It's, or like an angel or a star on the top. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling it's like pagan and not even religious. It's possible. It's possible. Oh, I am. I am. I, you know, I'm going to look it up later, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it has absolutely nothing to do with Christianity. I mean. But um, I but just, I, I don't even get it either, dude. I just, what is... Like, gift-giving, you give the gifts, and then all of a sudden, imagine the people who are stealing gifts for people, and that, it's just like... to me, is hysterical. It is hilarious to me. I'm like, Merry Christmas, your gift is stolen, by the way. You know, it like, just what? It feels cursed. Yes. <laughs> kind of like, like bad when, blood type of thing. Kind of like when you were telling me, like, one of the most stolen books is the Bible. Yes. Like, most, that's most, hysterical to I'm, me. That's the irony, dude. The like, irony. I feel like you're cursing yourself. <laughs> Same with, like, how a lot of tarot cards are getting stolen. I'm just, like, ironic, because anyone who's into, like, you know, self-transformation type of stuff, you know, you're all about good vibes, yet you're wishing karma upon yourself, Ooh. seriously. Or, dude, recycled gifts. Mm. That's... Unless it's really cool. Unless it's really cool, but recycled gifts, dude true that's um yikes anyways welcome to our ted talk thank you for coming thank you round of uh, applause clap and a half thank you very much we'll be here all thank night thank you thank you thank you <laughs> goodbye now goodbye <laughs> that's it we're ending right here we're bowing show's down over. now show's over curtain close goodbye yep all right <laughs> and we're back so back to bones here so, we are again here we are and we learn um, <laughs> because they're talking about how, like, after they talk about how sensitive, you know, Bones is right. sensitive, um, Booth ends up grabbing, was it like a file from Bones? She's like, oh, here, I don't know what these means. It's like about these coins. And mm. she goes, do you? And he's like, no, I don't. She goes, okay, well, take them to Dr. Goodman. He'll probably have something to say. Yes. Obviously, Booth is confused, but he just follows orders. <laughs> yes. And so the next scene that we see is um basically it's yeah dr goodman hodgins angela and they're all kind of looking at different stuff in the lab trying to see what could be gifts christmas decorations oh yes they're trying to work on christmas decorations first and hodgins was like oh maybe i can make fluorescent light test tube decoration lights right Right, which is kind of innovative. Yes. And then... And Angela's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Yes. And, you know, Dr. Goodman is kind of just not really into it as much. Even though they're getting creative, he's just like, you know, this isn't the meaning of Christmas. Like, this isn't really Christmas spirit. Like, you know, for a father like me and a father like Booth, and they, all three of them look at him like, okay, pause. And Zach says, be kind, rewind. (laughs) 
Honestly, that was so funny. I started, like, obviously they didn't create that phrase, but I started saying that phrase because I watched the show. It's so funny. And I didn't even think about how you would say it all the time. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's just something Pig says. Mm-hmm. That was that was pre-Bones era for you. Yes. But then it'd be yeah. like, that happens. Also, kind of <laughs> harsh on Dr. Goodman when Hodgins is like, but we're friends, right? And right. Dr. Goodman's like, um, no, we're co-workers. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, college. ouch. <laughs> Ouch. But again, here, look, he spills the beans. And I'm like, dude, that was not your business to spill Boots beans. Yeah. But also, Mm. he didn't know that it was beans to be spilled. Yeah, he didn't know. But still. Still kind of strange. It it keeps happening. They always do it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This whole episode, man. It'd be like that. (laughs) Right. So then Dr. Goodman and Booth are looking over the evidence. Booth is kind of like, oh, I'm looking this over for for Bones. And he's, like, questioning, like, what makes you certified? And he's like, mm-hmm. Dr. Goodman's like, um, I was an archaeologist before mm-hmm. I became an administrator. I yeah. do have a story, sir. Mm-hmm. And he kind of makes some assumptions about the victim, mm-hmm. um, that he was a working class man. Yeah. And um, that he was very fastidious. I didn't look up that word, I but I'm assuming yeah. it means like he's very well put together. Yeah. You know, keeps his stuff um, well put together. Mm hmm. When he, when we learned he was an archaeologist, I remember I was like, man, I kind of want to be an archaeologist. Oh, like, I thought about it. Before I thought about, you know, being a forensic anthropologist, like every other bone watcher, yep. I was like, I want to be an archaeologist. That I sounds really too. fun. I wanted to do Indiana Bone, Indiana Jones type stuff. I'll be Indiana Bones. <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Bones. But I know that's not what it's like in real life, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> You know. And in the process, while Dr. Goodman is looking at all the evidence, Booth gets a call from his ex. Her name was Rebecca, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, he's like, you know, he's getting, he's having a hard time because he wants to see Parker for Christmas. And I was just like, man, bitches ain't shit, man. Ugh, the part where Booth, like, looks like he's about to cry and he's like, don't, don't make, make me beg. Ah, my heart. And it sucks because it's like it. They just took a shot because it's like that's it. That does happen. Yeah, in real life. I think um, it's really tough for dudes in this country when it comes to or even women. Custody. It could be very vice versa, but majority of the time, we know that the women usually get the child and the men not so much. Oh yeah, no I matter mean, how much they love the it's child, fairly common in court. I mean. There are a lot of times where, you know, the dad is not a good presence in the life of the children, but it's much more common for the court to side on the the mother in regards to favor of custody than on the father. Yeah. um, Purely by, you know... Motherly instinct. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Motherly nature. (laughs) Which is sad. But... Oh, something else that I looked Mm up. Um, When Dr. Goodman is picking up the letters, because one of the other things they find among the bunch is these love letters. Yeah. And he says that it's female handwriting. And Booth is like, how do you know it's female handwriting? And he says, (laughs) once you've read cuneiform, handwriting is easy. What's cuneiform? Did you look it up? Cuneiform is... 
basically these wedge-shaped characters that mm-hmm. were used in ancient ancient writing systems in Mesopotamia, Persia, you know, places like that. And they were mainly impressed on, like, clay tablets. So it was oh, kind okay. of the earliest form of handwriting. Writing. Mm-hmm. So he knew. And as an archaeologist, that's something he, he would know. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. So some info for you. <laughs> um, in the next scene, Bones and Hodgins are um, having a conversation. And um, again, another walking conversation. Yes. Aren't and- they up at the, uh, the platform on the top again, like upstairs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Hodgins is like, yeah, he had belly fever. And Bones is like, yeah, duh, that's kind of obvious. Yeah. Considering they're all in quarantine for valley fever. And Hodgins is like, you know, I know I'm the Grinch, but you're being <laughs> the Grinch on purpose. Something that my sister caught here mm-hmm. is when he's calling Bones the Grinch and he's kind of listing things like, you know, Booth doesn't get to see his kid mm-hmm. again spilling the beans yeah but he says zach doesn't get to see his kids what yeah no he does not he does <laughs> i had to rewind it so here's what happened so me and my sister are watching the episode and she's like did he just say zach has kids i'm like no 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 he meant dr goodman and she's like no he definitely said zach has kids so we rewinded it Turned on the subtitles, and Hodgins definitely says, what? and I quote, Zach doesn't get to see his kids. Obviously, it was an error. I but need to rewatch. It made it Obviously, into the we final were not cut. paying enough attention if your sister is catching us, and neither of us are catching it. I just, we're fired. It, well, I think we're it's fired. because he was just, you know, quickly listing or how everyone's Maybe because we're both just too focused on the fact we just saw Hodgins shirtless in a towel. <laughs> so we're still recovering. Yeah. So obviously it was an error, but it made it into the final cut. <laughs> what the heck? Because Zach does not have children. He does not. He does not. But that's my. that was my takeaway oh for the scene. God. Yeah. I can't believe that. Now he's like, we're going to finish recording, and then you're going to pull up the episode. Yes, I really will. Yeah. But yeah, that's what happened. No lie. (laughs) At least if you're watching it on Amazon Prime. I don't know. I need to rewatch now. My life. My mind is blown. Yeah. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, girl. I like how he was like, uh, oh, Booth didn't tell you you had a kid? I'm not the one who told you. (laughs) Right. And then he ran away. (laughs) Seriously. I'm like, Hodgins, you're so funny. You're so funny. so cute. You're so cute. (laughs) So cute. Oh, gosh. Anywho. They find out that the victim's name is Lionel Little. Mm -hmm. And Booth keeps calling him Careful Lionel. Yep. So Booth gets off the phone with a tailor shop that was tailoring Lionel's wedding shirt that he never showed up to pick up. Um... And I'm just like, dang, kudos to the tailor shop. Like, they are the real MVP. They would have mm-hmm. never found anything out if it wasn't for that tailor shop for mm-hmm. t- keeping records the way they did. Clearly. <laughs> and then Bones also confronts Booth about him having a son and not telling her. 
And she looks legitimately hurt that she never knew. Yeah. But then again, she has been, like, all butthurt this entire episode, so... I, I wasn't really surprised. <laughs> I also love how Booth gives him the nickname Careful Lionel. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> it was kind of funny, but also shows how, like, Booth's getting into it and he how his kind of process works. Yeah. Of when he's thinking about the victim, kind of making them a real person and asserting them characteristics. I mean, sometimes Zach nicknames the victims too so yeah what was the one where he called the body smoky was that the man in the suv i think so that was funny he's like smoky here and bones is like smoky yeah and then randomly bones sneezes <laughs> yeah and Booth is like is that valley fever and it's like dun 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 it made me think of like okay it's so funny because i was just like wow bone sneezes that's a dun 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 move but also like but then it's like we're in covid quarantine she so it's kind of like her hands so it's like covid you sneeze dun 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 but also she sneezes in her hands yeah not acceptable in covid no, un- that's why unacceptable for a scientist yeah for a scientist true before covid i was not sneezing in my hands to be a honest. lot of people were sneezing in their hands so technically no one really cared as much but a scientist does she always have a tissue on her no. you but you sneeze in your elbow she could but she didn't Movie magic. I just disappointment. You gotta do it because she has a sneeze in her hand so she could give Booth the look like, oh no. And then they cut to commercial. Disgrace. Yep. (laughs) But also what I think is even funnier is Mm -hmm. like the the kind of serious tone that scene ends on and then it just opens up with them eating christmas dinner they're eating all Chinese together food. sitting <laughs> right next to each other and then they're just kind of like oh yeah and then bones is like no it's not valley fever like what was the point of making that previous scene so serious right. if it's like, gonna Zach mean is like are you nothing? gonna get a needle in your head now like a needle right. in your brain now <laughs> and it just means nothing in the next episode that's so I mean, movie the next magic scene. man so movie magic <laughs> right so i mean they're they're eating chinese food together mm-hmm. and they kind of discuss the holiday and <coughs> religion Death. You know? Yeah. And, um... Again, bone shots fired toward everyone involving God. I know. What's interesting to me is I'm very surprised that they made most of these characters somewhat religious or agnostic. and Or how they have, like, some mm -hmm. sort of, like, you know, important spot wherever they are. And only Bones and Zack are depicted as atheists. Unless you talk to Zack's mom. Then Then he's he's Lutheran. Lutheran. (laughs) But it's like most of the country is religious in America, just statistically. And probably even more so in 2005. But in regards to a field of scientists, I just wouldn't see that as very common. It's very interesting. Like, Mm -hmm. because she's like, She's like shooting shots at Booth. Like, dude, uh, you're the only one who believes in God. And Dr. Goodman's like, um, Dr. Brennan, I am a deacon at my church. Right. And, and even Angela's like, oh, I believe in God. And no. then when they're like, oh, well, um, what is it that they're talking about? Celebrating Christmas or something. And Bones, oh, she's calling it a Christ myth. And yeah. Booth is like, hey, some of us don't think it's a myth. And, and that's when it led into that mm-hmm. conversation. And then Bones is like, well, you're sensitive because you had a child out of wedlock. And, and I'm that like, was messed up. Dude, read the room. I'm like, you just keep 
firing shots, like, like especially at Booth, like, ouch. Like, I understand on one side when you're being, when you don't really understand social cues, but to her, when it comes to religion and she says these things, it feels like contempt yes. towards Booth having a belief. It just hurts him, like, ouch. Yeah, to me, but, it's 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 not cool. You know what I did? really like that was when Hodgins was like you know he just believes religion is just another political movement to control the mass but it doesn't mean God doesn't love him I think that's terrible I was dying I'm like dude I feel like Hodgins right now I feel it I feel that they're so funny I I love that part with Hodgins I didn't even think he was gonna believe in anything until he was he was just like you know political movement to control the masses but it doesn't mean god doesn't love me i was like oh all right he's such a character but i I agree it was just very strange to me considering at the very least hodgins zach and bones are considered like true scientists yes but surprisingly hodgins believes in god and i was like Mm -hmm. all right right interesting very interesting and then also we learn more about careful lionel Mm -hmm. where they figure out that he had a pregnant girlfriend yep which would not have been a a very cozy life considering she um, was african-american yes and he was white in 1958 oklahoma so very difficult so they figure out that from the two paris tickets that they were probably trying to leave he was trying to life together escape with her Mm-hmm. He was trying to help her take yes. her away, sweep her off her feet. Yes. Ow. So, and from this scene, we go to the family montage where yep. everybody's loved ones comes to visit them through the glass at the front of the lab. It was so sweet. Yeah. And I'm so, just like, all right, Hodgins, you gonna kiss through the glass? How mm-hmm. you gonna do that? <laughs> so Hodgins had a hot model who mm-hmm. visits him, and I love her coat. I did too. Adorable. Dr. Goodsman's family is adorable. His wife and two kids, I believe. Super cute. Mm -hmm. Angela's dad is Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, Mm -hmm. the 70s rock band. Um, She even tells them at dinner, like, guys, if you recognize my dad, Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) And if you don't know who ZZ Top is, think about the song, Give Me All Your Lovin'. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's like, give me all your lovin'. Um, what is it, like, hugs and kisses, too? I don't remember. I think it's something along those lines, yeah. I yeah. can't remember. So if you don't know them, that's that's kind of their greatest hit. And then, um, Booth, seeing Parker there, Parker's totally adorable. With Sid. Sid, Sid from MVP Wong Fu's. there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he brings him. And for me, in particular, Zach's family hits the hardest. How so? Because, well, I can't really talk about it because of what happens on in later seasons. Oh, yeah. But legitimately, me and my sister were tearing up at this scene because you see. He is obviously loved. You see how much his family loves him. Like, he has the most people there. And they just look at him like he is the apple of their eye. You know, it kind of makes me think of in Grey's Anatomy of George O'Malley. Mm-hmm. How he has, like, this family. They all love him. Even though they pick on him, but they love him. It made mm-hmm. me think kind of the same concept. Different endings, obviously. But, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, that was, loved ugh. character. It was just so hard for me because 
when we get there, I'll maybe bring back to the scene. But I was yeah. just, it was just so sad to me because how much he is loved. So loved. He has the most family out of everyone. Yeah. And who actually shows up for him. Yeah. You that know was what, um, what I found interesting though? Like, I guess it's symbolic when you're like on an opposite side of glass or something mm-hmm. like glass and you see someone you know, you put your hand up against it. Mm-hmm. And I always find that interesting. Like a, common thing where if you see someone you put your hand up against the glass and then the person there does the same thing so interesting to me you reach out for each other in a way like i i don't feel you through the glass but i do at the same time (laughs) and then of course bones is alone because she doesn't have anyone you like how she's mostly watching when it's zach's family Ugh, my heart (laughs) maybe she was watching when there was others but that was the one i was catching is when she was watching zach and his family yeah, that's a rough one. Yeah, I agree. And then you hear about what happened to her, and it's so sad, dude. Yeah. It's so sad. So we go to the next scene where Angela has generated a Christmas tree through the angulator for them She's to still put in the, the process. Mm-hmm. She just started. And she and Bones discuss um, the Christmas that her parents disappeared. Basically, we find out that her 19-year-old brother, Russ, found the gifts from their parents, put them under the tree, tried to make Christmas, and a young Bones thought her parents had returned. And when she found out that they hadn't, she refused to open up any of the gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, that New Year's, Russ left to find work and never came back, and that's how she ended up in foster care at 15 years old. Yep. So she was straight up abandoned. Yeah. And while they're talking, Booth is waiting in the doorway mm-hmm. and then kind of interrupts at the end that yeah. they found the paperwork. <sighs> the scene. Oh, the scene. Yeah, for sure. Emotional. But mm-hmm. also, like, mini bone to pick. Booth should have waited a little longer to make himself known or he should have left and came back. Like, that was the wrong moment in- to interrupt. I agree, but I also feel like um, maybe Movie Magic didn't know how to um, transition <laughs> transition yeah. from that because, emotional thing to what's cause, next. Because Bones doesn't usually open up, and she was so insightful in this scene, yeah. like where she's reflecting on how she refused to open up the gifts, and she was like, basically, I was telling Russ that he wasn't enough family for me. Yeah. You know? And you see that she feels twice as abandoned once because her parents left and twice because her brother left and yeah. she hasn't talked to him since like and she felt guilt too like she's like i didn't want him to feel like you know mm-hmm. he wasn't enough family because he was a kid too he was 19 yeah can you imagine 19 years old and your it's parents your just straight up and leave and then you have <sighs> to take care of your younger sibling like what do you do mm-hmm. but even but him leaving still messed up Oh, incredibly. He should have taken care of her. He was an adult. He could have taken care of her, too. Yeah. And this, it just, this scene was very well done, in my opinion, with Angela and Bones talking. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like Angela is such a good friend. I agree. For the most part. There are some messed up parts where she, I get angry oh, with her. Oh, for sure. But for the most part, I feel this like- This episode, seems, she was really, she was a really good friend It seems like this, the way she just listens to her and validates her, I just, 
I find very nice because I, I have a hard time with the way a lot of the shows portray female friendships. I mean, mm-hmm. they're getting better now. Oh, for but sure. But I just love the way they support each other. That's what a lot of friendships need, too. It's so funny how, you know, a lot of people don't really know that. You need to be Agreed. validated. Agreed. So then Booth, Dr. Goodman, and Bones are kind of sitting, hanging their legs off that little bridge mm-hmm. on the top of the um, platform. And they're kind of discussing, you know, about more of the information they found out. And they find out that Lionel was an accountant with an expensive coin collection. See. And that the man who owned the fallout shelter killed Lionel for the coins rather than buying them from him. Yep. Sealed them up, killed them, left him in the fallout shelter. And they discovered the lady who cleaned Lionel's office was a woman named Ivy Gillespie. And at the bottom of the love letter, there's an Ivy stamp. And so they assume that it's her, mm-hmm. and that she's most likely, you know, his lover, the mother of his unborn child. That was a lucky stretch, to be honest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I said, not very evidence focused. Lots of conclusions and assumptions made. Emotions. Mm-hmm. And then Angela insists that they find Ivy for Christmas to give her the answers that Bones never got. And at first, you know, Bones is totally against it. And then she pushes it and she's like, wouldn't you want someone to tell you whatever happened? Mm-hmm. And I was like, interesting. We don't have solid evidence, but we're going to push on emotions for yeah. this one. Well, I think the main thing they're going to let her know was that clearly Lionel was murdered. Yeah. And I think the part that Bones misses in this scene and that everyone else misses is that it's not about Ivy finding out Mm -hmm. what happened to Lionel. It's about Ivy finding out that Lionel didn't abandon her. Yeah, the closure. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's the closure because she's lived all these years where – from true pain that believing that the love of your life just totally just up and left up you and pregnant. And then to find out that, no, he didn't abandon you. He, he was, was murdered. murdered. To me, that is what's important for Ivy to know. Not yeah. the fact that she just knows what happened. And it's so funny because it's like, <laughs> oh, Dr. Goodman's like, oh, yeah, he just murdered this country bumpkin. I'm like, country bumpkin. Mm-hmm. So when I was doing the... <gasps> Um, true crime research for this episode. I was mm-hmm. kind of torn between doing two cases. Yeah. And I kind of have a brief case to tell you about in regards to someone being murdered over their coin collection. Oh, okay. So basically, this is um an, an Essex murder. A 52-year-old Gordon McKee. This was in 2000. And did I not write down a year? Like oh, 2018. Oh, oh so, wow. Yeah, so pretty pretty brief. This guy, you know, seen as like an all-around great guy, you know, mm-hmm. loved by his family, supportive, joyful, mm-hmm. um, retired. So basically one night he's having, you know, drinks with his neighbors. Oh, retired. How old is he? In his 50s. Okay. So the next day his neighbor finds him on the floor in his bedroom by his bed, stabbed 14 times. Oh, my god! Including one in the throat. Yo! <laughs> and when they look at his body, they, you know, find defensive ro- wounds, um, which would have been hard for him and painful because he had, like, limited bo- mobility. Mm-hmm. And they find, like, a half-burnt 
dishcloth in the hallway, and his rare, rare coin collection was missing, which has included this rare edition of 50-piece Beatrix Potter characters, okay. which Beatrix Potter, she wrote um, Peter Rabbit. And so over there in the UK, they have these special edition <laughs> Peter Rabbit coins that are worth a good amount of money you know, yeah. um, that they came out with. So those are missing. And um, I'm not sure what his total collection was worth, but some of the coins are from anywhere of 500 to to $1,000 a coin. Oh, wow. And he was going to use those to pay for his daughter's wedding. So very sad. 500 to to $1,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they find these shoe prints there. Oh, so and he never made it to the daughter's wedding? No, he died. That's so And sad. they look at CCTV footage and they found somebody running away on a bike like at 4.30 in the morning. So they start talking to this guy, Danny Bostick, who was one of the neighbors that he was with the night before. Mm-hmm. And his bike and his description match the video. And he's got, you know, criminal history, you know, uh, of 44 previous offensive one offenses one of them including rape yo yeah so he gets questioned he's like no i didn't do it but they confront him with the evidence and you know not only did his description and the bike match the footage but his but the guy's blood gordon mcgee his blood was found on danny bostick's bike Oh, man. So, of course, he admits that basically he left a dish towel burning in the middle of the hallway so he could try to blow up the place and destroy the evidence. He's so stupid. But it didn't work. Um, and so... It, he didn't this, take science class, now did he? The sad part is that Gordon offered Bostick some of his extra coins previously a few weeks before. No, before even any kind of crime. They were neighbors, and he was like, hey, you know, I have some extra coins of my coin collection. Would you want them? You know, just a generous dude. You know, he knew, like, he didn't have to steal anything. And the guy was like, oh, no, I'm just going to take them Mm -hmm. from you. Even at the trial, the judge was like, he gave you one, two, or three of them, duplicate coins of which he had more than one, in recognition of your own interest in that area, so you could have it for your own collection. And then you freaking murdered him, like, for real. How low of him. How old was he? He was 33. Yeah, so he gets convicted, um, you know, for murder and attempted arson. He gets 30 years in prison. Mm -hmm. And at the sentencing, uh, Tony Smith, who Gordon saw as his daughter, Mm -hmm. in her impact, his statement, she said she was paralyzed by shock and heartbroken when she was told of Gordon's death. And the prosecutor said that... um, This is the girl who saw Tony as a father? No, Tony was... Tony saw Gordon as her father. Oh, okay. I and, got confused yeah. about the name Tony. And the, and the so prosecutor okay. said that the theft of the coins just added to the heartbreak. So she was the one whose wedding he was going to yes. pay for. So her and her mother, like, those coins were supposed to be their heirlooms, you know. And mm-hmm. she, they said that they were precious heirlooms to them that cannot be replaced. Um and yeah so some of the coins were recovered but not all of them but he was a very well-loved man i don't know what he did for a living did they ever give the coins back to them some of them but they didn't find all of them but they gave them to the girls yeah okay 
Yeah, so that was kind of my mini one. It was kind of short to do for a full true crime segment. Yeah. But um, obviously the show, it's not unheard of for someone to be murdered for... Something. Coin collection. Dude agreed. Yeah, very sad. But, you know... That sucks. People suck. Why yeah. would you do that? I know. Bummer. Oh, man. But, Poor um, Gordon. But yeah, very well loved. They said he was generous and kind and, you know surely missed oh yeah yeah so to to hop back in the episode Mm -hmm. in the next scene everyone it's kind of a montage everyone's working on their gifts and Mm -hmm. bones is making cold calls to try to find ivy dude you know how like they're putting their gifts together Mm-hmm. You see how Wave Booth rips the paper and transfer it to his other hand? I'm like, was that motion necessary? <laughs> like, it was such a big motion. Like, shwoo. They trying. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's interesting. Okay. <laughs> the grand motion. Un- unnecessary. But it's okay, because it's Booth. I forgive you. Yeah. So, um, but Bones making this call, she gets lucky and gets a hold of Ivy's granddaughter, Lisa Pierce, and they find that Ivy's living in an assisted living facility. Mm-hmm. And um, Bones is kind of, um, you know, she's happy that she found them and hoping that Ivy's going to give her a call back. And yeah, then and she didn't change her last name, so that's why she was also able to, able to find confirm her. Yeah. her. And then Bones is kind of taking another look at one of the coins, and then Booth is trying to grab her to go hang out with them for yeah. Christmas. Because she was like, oh, look, two things fit. And in my mind, I'm like, hold up. I get that's a penny, but you got two other pennies there. They could have easily fit. But okay. Were there two other pennies? I swear I thought I saw two other pennies. I wasn't looking at the... The coin denomination. I'll have to double check, but I swear I thought I saw two other pennies, and I'm like, unless you checked those other two, I don't know. I'm pretty sure the other two pennies could fit, but maybe well, it's smaller. I don't know. I trust you with my life, so you're probably right. I don't trust myself, so we're both doomed. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> At least we'll, we won't be lonely. We won't be lonely. Yes. <laughs> so then it's kind of for the gift exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela puts you know lights on the tree all the gifts are up beneath it it's everyone gorgeous. starts to open it's so pretend um so kind of in order of you know everyone receiving their gifts so angela was given a blown up image of a fungus from oh. hodgins which i forgot to comment earlier how adorable it was when hodgins was seeking um Boots. Bones's or Bones' um, advice on like if on that's what he should what yeah. he should get to her, like how he was putting into thought of what she would like and how even though obviously it's a fungus, but he but was it's like, aesthetically I- pleasing. Mm-hmm. You like how like when they all saw the tree that she immediately hugs Hodgins, mm-hmm. and then she hugs Brennan, but you don't really see her hug anyone else. I'm like, oh yes future my heart <laughs> my heart and then dr goodman gets the folded paper bird from booth mm-hmm. and zach um, gets a family portrait from mm-hmm. angela, she from drew angela. dr goodman gets forms this scarab for Hodgins. Mm-hmm. Did he make that out of clay? I don't remember seeing him putting anything together. I don't I kinda do. I don't really remember exactly what he did, but I know he just kinda put it all together. Right. But it was pretty cool. Yeah. I guess it was like um a replica. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Zach gives the robot from earlier to Booth for Christmas for his son Parker. Mm-hmm. And Bones didn't participate, but um, in the gift giving, but she discovers that the penny that from earlier that, that fits in the little mm-hmm, sleeve was this special penny, one of only twelve in existence, and that it's worth over a hundred thousand dollars. I find it interesting because I was like, when we were looking at the gifts, I'm like, I feel like Dr. Goodman got the worst gift. He really did. I was like, Booth, you could have done better. Come on, bro. But but also think of Booth's skill set. Yeah. What Dr. Goodman he, really like... He what would he have re- done? I don't know, but I know Dr. Goodman appreciated it. He was really fascinated with this. So I'm like, all right. I think whatever he was fascinated about. that Booth... Could do something. that ability. <laughs> it was like a hidden talent. Like, whoa, really, Booth, you you do crafts. You do something. You do the artsy and you the do, craftsy. You do the paper. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which, it also, like, didn't look like paper. It looked like it was made from napkins. <laughs> Even though he was totally ripping paper earlier. I know, but it just looked too fuzzy uh, Yeah, it to looked like paper. napkins. So it's like, how'd you do it, bro? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> interesting. And then um, Dr. Goodman grabs the gang because they get the test results. And it turns out they do not have valley fever whoop, and are free whoop. to go. <laughs> but, of course, Bones stays behind because she's waiting for Ivy Gillespie. I think it was very sweet, too, because Booth looks back and he's like, oh, like, you know, you gonna be okay. You know, mm-hmm. I'll be at Wang Fu's. You know, you want any company? Yes. Like, I thought it was very considerate of him. I'm like, of look at everyone's running out, and he looks back. He always looks back. He does. And I love it. Me too. <laughs> He's such a sweetie. And so after um, um, everyone leaves, they arrive. Ivy Gillespie uh-huh. and her granddaughter, Liz yes. Pierce. And um, they, you know, kind of give Booth. Bones, sorry. Bones, Bones, the rundown of their family history that Ivy gave birth to a daughter and that she became half a nurse. black, half white mm-hmm. daughter. And that she had her own daughter, but she passed away eight years ago. We don't know from what. And mm-hmm. that Ivy raised Lisa on her own from then on. And they note that she wants to be a doctor, but that money is an issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. And then, you know, Bones is like, well. She mm-hmm. gives, well, first she lets him know, like, oh, here is some, the Paris tickets. She gives the closure and she also gives, like, you know, love letters and everything. So Ivy is very emotional because mm-hmm. she's just like, oh, my gosh, I thought the worst of him. Yeah. You know, I did not know that's what happened to him. And while she's going through that, Bones gives the penny to the granddaughter, and she's like, it's just a penny. Uh, and Bones is like, there's something mm-hmm. you ought to know about that penny. <laughs> I think the reason why I love this episode so much is that it's one of the few episodes that, in regards to the crime portion, ends on, like, a happy note. Instead like, of such a sad... Yeah. Where it's like, I think it's on one hand because... We don't catch the bad guy, which sucks, which in normal episodes I'd be pissed at. But right. obviously the dude is dead. But just the the emotion that happens here, like it's such a sad story because Ivy was robbed of the love of her life, the father of her daughter. But because she gets to know that he loved her, he didn't abandon her. Like, yeah. ugh. 
is just so beautiful. Warms your heart. Yeah. You're like, and, they were going to run away <laughs> together. And the granddaughter's acting is very cringe. Like, she's just kind of staring off in the distance at some points where I'm just kind of like, girl, are you okay? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> but overall, the story just, it gets to my feels. I mean, I thought Ivy was going to be older, to be honest. Yeah. I was expecting a more older Grandmother, I know black don't crack, but still, mm-hmm. I was expecting. Ivy she looks to look older. stunning. Oh yeah, for sure. But also, like, but she looked young to where she didn't even look like an old person. I thought it was a young person. She's probably a very wearing young makeup to look old. That's probably exactly what it was. Because that's what I thought it was. I was like, ah. But also, like, freaking sad that the daughter died, too. Yeah, I was like, yo, you lost the love of your life. Don't even know what happened, but then. Your daughter died. But I think the part that makes it all worth it is, like, when she's clutching the tickets to Paris, and she says, you know, Bones is like, I have something better. And she's like, what could be better? Like, that's just everything. Like, the dreamy look in her eye, clutching the tickets. She was like, so in love. Like, ugh, like so that, that was the love. moment. That, that was, was the moment. moment. <laughs> Yeah. Moment so, like this. So I loved that part. Being because too. I'm a sucker for Friendless. love stories. <laughs> Even though I don't like that it they didn't end up together. Yeah. But they, um, so after, you know, Bones gives the penny, mm-hmm. you don't really get to see, like, the reactions or anything. Yeah. Like, when she tells him about the money, you just see, like, it moves on to the next scene where they're at Wong Fu's. Mm-hmm. And she tells booth about it and she's like don't you want to know what happened because oh i know what happened yeah and he basically says exactly what happened yeah (laughs) and then you know bones like you know they don't realize like they they got a lot of money and stuff and booth is like you know they're not gonna pay attention to that not right now well she's not good ivy's not gonna pay attention to that right now like she's gonna focus on the fact that you gave her the best Christmas gift she could have ever gotten, which mm-hmm. is that closure. And which also kind of brings the moral of this episode full circle, where in the beginning, Bones was talking about how materialistic and dominance asserting that the <laughs> holiday is. And Booth characterizes what Bones did as the best Christmas gift ever, which on one hand was materialistic because there's a $100,000 penny. Yeah. But he says the greatest gift was Bones letting Ivy know that Lionel really did love her. Yeah. And so it just kind of shows the greatest gift wasn't even physical. It wasn't. In yeah. a way, it was physical because you got the plane tickets. Yeah, the plane tickets. But they were more sentimental. The meaning is there. The me- yeah. sentimental meaning is there. They were the they they were the physical the representation, mm-hmm. the physical representation of Lionel's love. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And as this was happening, Parker shows up and he runs to Booth. He's so cute. He is adorable. And he waves at Bones. And then oh Booth yeah, he gets the robot. Booth gives him the robot. Booth is like getting a kick out of the robot. Like Bones is like stop and the. Robot starts doing push-ups, and he thinks mm-hmm. it's hilarious. And I'm like, you do realize it's going to be a pain to control also, that Also, like, when he's like, what does it do? And he's like, you can do whatever you want. It can you even swim. swim. I was like, it cannot swim, my because dude. He you could do whatever you wanted to do. I'm like, all right, that's some dad talker there. That was, dad that was probably talk. improv, for real. Oh, for sure. For sure. 
I feel like half the time David Boreanaz is like doing a lot of improv just off the in cuff. general. Oh yeah, just to keep like you know his um cool guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he's a cool guy. Oh for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then from there, the episode ends with Bones back at the lab, yeah. taking out gifts from, I can't remember, she pulled it out of a cabinet, but basically. She pulls it out, like, out of her shelf, and it's inside of, like, these, um, it's a briefcase, mm. and she opens it over by the virtual hologram Christmas tree. And it turns and out they're, they're the gifts that her parents gave her when they left, but she hadn't opened them all these at years. all all these years later. And you don't get to see what the gift is. You, you only see her open the card saying that it's from mom and dad. And then she starts crying and smiling and I'm just like, then it ends. And what I'm like, was the I, gift? I hate when shows and movies do that. Like, I would have liked to know what she got. I gotta leave it to my imagination. Yes, ma'am. All I could think is, like, maybe it was a nice watch. Maybe it was something she wanted as a kid, like a little toy watch. I don't know why watch was the first thing that came into my mind, but that mm-hmm. was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. What do you think it was? Um, I was thinking probably by looking at future episodes that maybe it would be some kind of memento, like maybe a, it was dolphin. a dolphin ring. Dude, not us both saying that at the same time. You know, something dolphin related or... I'm wondering if it was the dolphin ring, actually. No, because she doesn't oh, get yeah, She that. doesn't get it till later, mm-hmm. but yeah, it could be dolphin related. Yeah, that's what I thought it was going to be. But I don't think they had thought that far ahead yet. True. When they had done this episode, so they wanted to leave it more open-ended. It's possible. I which, could see that. Which, at this point, I don't think it matters, because they have so many other continuity issues. Like, <laughs> you might as well have just shown us you something. You should have just done it. <laughs> like, it doesn't even matter at this point. They had to do the cliche movie magic and leave it up to the viewer's imagination. Mm-hmm. But overall, I love this episode. I um, do, too. It was very sweet and refreshing. Yeah, it's a go-to rewatch just if you w- if I want like a light bones episode, you know, yeah. and I just want to feel my feels and yes. look at Hodgin shirtless. Y- yeah. <laughs> you know, rewind that a couple of times. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a good one. It is. That was so fun. I liked it a lot. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. It's a sweet one. It's a good one. It is. I agree. All right. You ready? I guess so. All right, guys. So Apparently, the true crime (laughs) episode that we got for you, according to Pig, it's heavy. So we went from a light episode to heavy. That's all I know. So here's my thought. Not everybody enjoys Christmas or whatever. And I was having a hard time going between the case that I kind of read a little bit earlier about Gordon McKee Mm -hmm. and this one because I went with the theme of more coin murder related rather than the um the forensic evidence related because he was just simply shot and the episode didn't really focus a lot on the forensic evidence it was more on the circumstantial and you know kind of informational relational evidence the connections so it was tough for me to find one maybe that was in the sentimental way so instead i just went with uh murder over coin collectibles (laughs) 
It's so crazy know. how you found another one over coins. Well, yeah. there's. You'd be surprised. It's not uncommon for people to be killed over expensive coin collections. Like, I get over expensive things, but come on, people. Over coins? So I for- get that it's <laughs> money, but coin collection, but people try hard for that. Yeah. So for it's those cheating. So for those of you who aren't into the mushy gushiness of this episode, I am giving you a serial killer today. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Here you'll, we go. You'll love it. <laughs> so this is going to be another one where I don't have a lot of information about the victims just because of the nature of it. It happened in the 80s. It's a serial <laughs> killer one. <laughs> it, it was tough to even find pictures of any of them. So I'm not even sure if I'm going to have pictures for when we do the video version. All right. Um. But the connection to the episode is obviously I hope over you, you other coins. listeners know we are on YouTube, by the way. Like, mm-hmm. we have visuals on YouTube if you guys haven't checked it out. Mm-hmm. It, they're like slideshows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes we have clips and videos. Yeah. And, and we have images. animation. Mm-hmm. We have animated artwork. Yeah. I'm hoping to kind of add more to the animation. But um, I'm learning. (laughs) We're trying hard to not get copyright either. So that's why. We're working on it. You know, we're we're working on it. Mm -hmm. Making them rookie mistakes. But we're good. So um, I'm going to kind of tell you about a few of the crimes and then, you know, we'll get into it. All right. Let's do it. Robert and Dagmar Linton lived in. This is two people? Yes. The Lintons. They lived in um, Lodi, um, San Quentin County, California, mm-hmm. and they were about to be retired. Mm-hmm. They loved the outdoors, and they took a lot of trips to Lake Comanche in the New Hogan and the New Hogan Reservoir. Mm-hmm. So in the summer of 1986, they were going to go to Ran- Vancouver to see the World's Fair. And uh, when they reached Washington State, their families stopped hearing for them. Summer of 96 or 86? 86. Okay, because I heard 96. And I'm like, wait, you know what? You probably did because I'm notorious for messing this up. (laughs) So the summer of 1986. 86. mm -hmm, So they reached Washington State and their family stopped hearing from them. Their trailer was found abandoned at a campground in Washington State. And their car was abandoned at the Seattle-Tacoma airport. So small amounts of blood were found in the ceiling of the camper. And the blood samples um, were turned out to be the couple's and then a third unidentified person. Yikes. Uh, There were signs of a struggle, but their bodies were nowhere to be found. Okay. Um, The Lintons' credit cards were stolen and they were used in various states. There was even footage of this bearded white man um, with a bandaged hand purchasing a clarinet. Um, however, after the news came out about the about how the credit cards were missing, the purchases just stopped. Uh-huh. And they interviewed the guy with the bandaged hand, but nothing really came of it. Yeah. So this was the only set of murders that didn't really have the same M.O., as the other murders. Interesting. So, so this is the noticed, first one. Um, kind of. I don't necessarily go in chronological order here. Okay. But I will give you the years and, and when they're murders. Okay. Chronological order won't necessarily make sense in this case. Okay. So what so, order are you kind of going in? In order of how they determined connections to the crime. Okay. So 
The reason I did this one, this section first, is because it doesn't really feel related to the other crimes. It's not about coins or collectibles. But it was just randomly still murdered. brought up as if it was connected. It is connected. Oh, what the heck? Mm-hmm. So the crime that I'm going to talk about next is kind of the one that brought all of those previous crimes c- together and connected them. Because before... All of these crimes happened in different states, okay. so no, none of the police departments connected it. There wasn't a lot of inner, you know, agency yeah, this communication. Is the 80s, so. Yeah, so it was this case that connected the rest of them. So there were previous ones that were happening, and mm-hmm. no one knew yes. except for those places. Mm-hmm. But this so, is the one. Okay. So 1986 was the Lintons, and they're kind of the outlier because they don't really match. The mm-hmm. same MO of the other ones. Yeah. So in Billings, Montana, in 1990, yes, 1990, um, Charles Sparbo, a 60 year old Quinchop owner, is found slumped over his desk, and his assistant, Catherine Newstrom, age 47, is found under her desk. Both were shot to the head with a 22 caliber handgun. Uh, they sucks. Front or back? Did they say? No, they don't Mm. say. Um, the coin shop was robbed of fifty four thousand dollars in coins and gold. Uh, the victims died on the way to the hospital. So they were alive when they were found, but oh no, dead in transit. It's even worse. Um, the day after the murders, though. Um, Sparbo's son noticed that some of these South African coins called Krugerrands, um, he believes that they were laid out on the table for the killer to view them, like as if the killer came there to buy some coins. Mm -hmm. And he says that he was suspicious of this one customer in particular. He said he was a farmer from Laurel, 15 miles up the road, and Sparbo told detectives that this man told them that he was selling his farm for $130,000 and wanted to invest his money in gold. Well, they kind of found him odd because he's supposed to be this farmer, but he's got these super soft hands, like not the hands of a farmer. Okay. And he also parked his silver pontiac like further away from the store and then walked into the stores like that's weird (laughs) all righty then (laughs) and the most recent time the third time that the farmer quote-unquote appeared that and sparbo the son um jim sparbo left that was the last time he saw his father father alive (laughs) like that was the time they got murdered oh my god so that farmer was the last person he saw with them in the shop, meaning that it's likely he probably killed them. Oh, my gosh. So he gives the description to police officers, and they kind of get to work on it. Okay. So they aren't hearing anything locally, so they send out the description and everything to the western United States. And they hear back about two things out of Washington. So one... A local coin shop owner noted a similar suspicious man who came into his shop, a guy named James Weir. 
Um, he confirmed, based on a composite sketch, that the two suspicious customers, the one from Billings, Montana, and the one from Spokane, Washington, mm-hmm. are the same guy. What? And this guy kind of did the similar thing, where he would kind of come around the shop a couple of days or whatever, and was just kind of weird. The other incident out of Spokane, Washington, um, was the murder of Leo Kashat of mm-hmm. Spokane, Washington. He was shot in the head in his coin shop and robbed in 1987. So this was a year after the Linton murders that I first mentioned. Okay. So so all of a sudden, these calls start coming in from everywhere. So they get a call from Kansas City, Missouri, because Leroy Hoffman was murdered in 1988 at his coin shop. His coins were worth several thousands of dollars, and they were missing. So this man is just going straight Mm -hmm. up, like, store to store to just grab all these people's, like, he observes first, and then he Mm -hmm. kills them and takes all their coins. Stranger came with the same story, seen around the shop, dead. Then, 1986, in Vacaville, California, Reuben Lucky Williams was shot in the head and robbed. 1985, Thomas Rohr from Mashaka... Mashawaka, um, Indiana, was killed during a robbery of his of the coin shop he managed. And then in 1980, which we believe is the first one, David Sutton Everett from Washington was shot in the head uh, in his antique store and robbed of $80,000 in silver dollars. Oh, my gosh. So if you can see, like, what kind of connected them was the Billings, Montana, putting out their report of the crime and then they get calls everywhere of like hey we've got this similar crime here so lots of victims well you would think he would just sell like one of the coins he like stole to buy the coins well it's a lot you make a lot more money when you don't have to sell them and you just steal them but the idea of why but why do you have to murder them like you couldn't just (sighs) rob them i mean i guess Obviously, tying up loose ends. Yeah, because he doesn't want them to report him. He would have got caught faster. Yeah. So the the linchpin in the case that kind of pulls everything together. I'm sorry. The Billings, Montana murder happened in 1989, I believe. Mm. So in May. Oh, no, no. It happened. It happened in, in 1990. Sorry. Forget what I just said. So in May 1990, before the Billings, Montana murder. But Billings, Montana is just hearing of this now. Um, A coin shop owner named Kelly Finnegan worked at Legacy Rare Coins. um, And a man came into a shop named Jim Stockton. He would, he came by for like the past several days to like trade coins. Mm -hmm. And Finnegan kind of got used to him being there. And so he's putting money away in the safe And he turns his head, and I think he hears something about, like, you bastard or whatever, and he gets shot in the head. What the heck? But he doesn't die. Oh. He plays dead. Oh. So he lays there on the ground with a headshot, a head wound from a gunshot playing dead while this dude robs him. Of $60,000 worth of merchandise. That's crazy. But because he played dead, he gets to give the description of Jim Stockton 
to the police. Yeah. So they determined that Jim stalked. Imagine getting weird. shot in the head and you're still. So on YouTube, he actually, there's a full video of him talking about the experience. What and the it's very interesting. So it was in, um, oh, Utah. I forgot to put what city, but it happened in Utah. And he's talking about how, you know, the guy just seemed very normal. And that it was only because he turned his head that he survived because of how the bullet hit his head. But he said that he didn't really notice it, that it just happened very quickly. There was no life flashing before your eyes. Like as soon as he turned his head, like he was like, boom, he was on the ground. It was like, he didn't really. It's almost as if he got pushed down, basically. Yeah. Instant knockdown. Yeah. He didn't really like feel the bullet go into his head or really know what was going on. All right. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah. So if you want to look it up, his name is Kelly Finnegan. Um, I was and, thinking and Kelly his... was a chick this entire time. <laughs> no, sorry. He was a dude. Sorry. Either. He was, he's a man and yeah. he was 29 at the time. So 1990. All right. So basically they're on the trail. They're looking for information on this James Weir, right? Mm-hmm. So they find a car in Wyoming and the plates had recently been changed, but it's registered to James Weir. And they get, after, like, doing a sting, waiting for somebody to come for this car, and mm-hmm. nobody ever comes for it, after five days, they do a search of the vehicle. They find a notebook with labels, coin wrappers. They find a twenty two caliber pistol in the trunk and a homemade silencer. That was Jeez. the other thing. Yeah. When um, Kelly Finnegan was shot in the head, he didn't really hear it or understand it because it, the murderer silencer. had a silencer on it. Mm-hmm. And it was homemade. <laughs> and so they even found out evidence of James Weir casing other locations. Wow. So basically, they are looking at different flights and names, and they're looking for James Weir. They find out that he's on a flight to Alaska. So they discover that he was picked up by his wife, Debbie, who had recently sold $15,000 worth of coins in Alaska. Uh, so she knows all about this. No, she doesn't. What? She doesn't. She Where just she thinks think he's a coin collector. From? She just thinks he's a coin collector. But the, but the, so honey, she has no what? idea. So James apparently moved with his wife to Kenny Lake, Alaska. Um, they lived in an isolated, you know, area, eighty-five miles north of Valdez. Um, so they get his address from there and they arrest him. So that same day, they get a search warrant to search his storage units and stuff, mm-hmm. and they find a whole bunch of evidence, and they're linking him to the all the crimes that I talked about. So there were instruments to, you know, creation of false IDs, piles of mats, C4 explosive, landmines, <laughs> various Where is this at? His home? In a storage unit. In a storage unit, okay. You know, valuable, rare coins. And if you remember when I talked about the Linton murders, about how their credit cards were stolen Mm -hmm. and how they were used to buy a clarinet by this bearded man with an injured hand, Mm -hmm. well, in the storage unit, they find the clarinet (laughs) that was purchased with the Linton credit cards. And they see that Weir or Stockton has the exact same scars on his right hand as the man with the bandages did that was interviewed previously for suspicious behavior. Interesting. Why are they connected? Because he's the one who killed the Lintons. No, I know, but I'm saying, like, it's so interesting how this guy with the white beard has such a direct connection. 
No, he is the guy with the white beard. Oh, I'm thinking he's a completely different dude. No, he's the same guy. Bruh. That's why he's got the clarinet. He's got the same scar on his hand as so the bearded he's guy. The he's guy the guy who's been dude. killing everyone. Yes. I was just thinking like, oh, yeah, he just happens to be the same guy. Maybe they're working mm-hmm. together. What the so heck? So the Washington coin shop owner, you know, he confirms that the guy's James Weir. The law enforcement, you know, they confirm it. But they figure out that James Weir is not James Weir. Of course he's not. His name is Charles Sinclair. So Charles Sinclair is James Weir, Jim Stockton, the bearded man who killed the Lintons and bought a clarinet. So they're all one in the same. That's so crazy. All right, I killed some people. I'm going to go buy a clarinet now. What? Mm -hmm. So his name is Charles Sinclair, and Sinclair has a criminal history, um, you know, out of New Mexico that includes insurance fraud, rape, kidnapping. Oh, my gosh. Um, he has a record. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't really find too many details about these specific crimes, but... You sure the wife didn't know anything? They did not. Everyone was shocked. I get into a little bit more. Okay. But um, the crimes are like the disappearing of this vacationing couple in California in 86, the rape of a real estate agent that same month. Um, and in 1987, a kidnapping and killings, you know, he's he's got a bad history. Yeah. So he was about to be extradited to Montana for the murders of Charles Sparbo and Catherine Newstrom. Mm-hmm. And the Utah authorities added charges for the attempted criminal homicide and aggravated robbery of the attack of Kelly Finnegan. But before he stood trial... In October 30th, 1990, Charles T. Sinclair died of heart failure in Bruh. his Anchorage, Alaska jail cell. So we don't have any information on his motivations or How why. How old is he? Um, oh, crap. <laughs> I forgot to write down his age. But he That's was like fair. in his 50s. That's when he died? Yeah. That's crazy, um, dude. But we don't get to know his motives or, like, why he killed the Lintons and – but also killing people in coin shops, you know? And when looking at his history, it it's not clear that he would have become a serial killer. Like, he was born and raised in a small town in New Mexico, youngest of four children, working-class family, raised by a single mother. Dad died when he was young. Um, and the only instant in his life that kind of seems related to his life of crime is that he owned a coin shop that burned down in 1985, but he committed a murder in 1980, five years before his coin shop burned down. So even then I'm like, dude, I can't figure this out. Um, so yeah. Why did he murder the guy before though? I don't know. He's got. At least 11 homicides, an attempted the only, murder. The only and two thing I could think of name. is that he got a taste for murder before. Maybe he wanted like something to add to his coin shop. And then when the coin shop burned down, he was devastated. Mm-hmm. And he basically, I'm wondering, like, did he rob these places like of all their coins? Or? Nope. So I'm wondering, maybe... Just was, some... This is me stretching, but I'm wondering if he was just tracking down all his coins that he his, was mm, that he needed. 
that's a stretch, but you never know. Maybe he... Well, he was selling these... them and making money off of them. Yeah, so but I maybe think... he, like... Because he already knew what coins... I don't know his if his coin shop burned down. I don't know. So maybe he was tracking where, where certain coins were and targeted these shops based on what coins they had. And that's why he would look around, look for a bit, come back, target, take my coins. Well, I don't think... Because if his coin shop burned down, I don't think those other stores would have his coins well that's my thing i don't know they for all we know there could be duplicates of a single coin there could probably be like five of one coin like that's you know a rare coin he probably had one it you know didn't get salvaged so he would go to places looking for like you know say for example that one of the five coins type of thing and if he found it one of the rare coins he's like ah target it's possible. You know? And yeah. then he would sell it for, like, you know, just yeah. because, to survive. And then he'd find other stuff. Yeah. That's just a theory. It's But the crazy thing is he's got murders that aren't even related to coins. Well, that's here's the thing. Before is, the coin shop even no, I know, down. But here's the thing. I'm saying he had a taste of murder before. Yeah. So after his shop burned down, he was like, all right, I already know what to do. I'm going to do it again. But now I'm going to get coins out of it. Well, actually, so he's got a murder in 19... The murder in 1980, he actually stole coins. So he did. And then the murder in 86 happened after he stole coins, after his coin shop burned down, but weren't related to coins at all. So it's just kind of a mystery. And they can't even... um, Those are just my theories. I'm, I'm more thinking, like, he probably stole in the beginning... Like, he murdered someone, stole their coins to put in his shop, and then when his shop burned down and he couldn't salvage the coins, he just kind of went coin hunting, and he already murdered before, so he was able to do it again without remorse and just took the coins he wanted. Yeah. And went about his day. Definitely possible. Bought a clarinet. The, The crazy thing is, because he's dead, we can even like we can kind of connect him to some other murders but we don't have anything for sure like i've seen some places where they say he has 13 kills some places they say 15 some places say 11 so it's kind of tough to pin down but the but basically his neighbors everyone in his family everyone was shocked that he could have even been a killer it's crazy because no one knew like everyone considered him to just be this you know neighbor collector just a normal guy so one friend said it's like a puzzle but you can't see the picture because half the pieces are missing um maybe he kept himself a lot yeah um the f the agents involved in this case said we all felt sinclair was a serial killer of the same stature of ted bundy they said we're still working on known and unknown crimes there's a lot of unanswered questions and the only one we know who knew the whole story took it with him to the grave yeah pretty much it's just crazy to me that the wife literally knew nothing and she was selling the coins no everyone was shocked everyone was in shock like um nothing in his demeanor nothing really about his childhood that says why and we'll never know that's insane dude 
Yeah. So that, and he's called, uh, his moniker is the coin shop killer. There's a body of evidence episode Mm -hmm. um, that I bought on Amazon Prime, which is (laughs) part of my um, research, my sources for this episode. There's also an LA Times article that, um, that I used as my source and I lost my paper. So let me look up what my, my (laughs) last was, it was something called true crime database, this website that kind of goes into detail. Ah, here it is. Here you are. Just scroll for me, please. (laughs) So Wikipedia, um, body of, body of proof episode, truecrimedatabase.com and LA times article. All and of right. course, I'll always post my sources in the description of the episode and on our YouTube channel. Yeah. <coughs> oh my God, don't die. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, don't die on me. <laughs> I'm trying. <coughs> oh my gosh. It's Anyways. the macarons. <laughs> <laughs> They're so good, though. Yeah. I made macarons earlier. Or macarons. macarons Ugh, so macarons. delicious. They were fabulous. <laughs> yes. So, um, that's the episode, Man in the Fallout Shelter. Yeah. Coin Shop Killer. I hope you guys um, <laughs> enjoyed. Uh, it was um, very interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so let's hang out again. Let us know what you think. Rate, review, subscribe. Yeah. Give us some feedback. Yeah. Let's hang out. Yes. Turn us on. Keep us turned on. Or, you know, don't do that. <laughs> no, keep us turned on. Listen to us all day, every day. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. And ever. <laughs> let's, let's, let's stay together. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, Al Green, let's stay together. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, yeah, You feel yeah. it? <laughs> Anyways, we Have will see you one, next guys. time for the next episode, which is The episode Woman in the Airport. 10. Mm-hmm. Lit. Which is a good one. <laughs> also a good one. Alright, guys. We'll catch you guys next week. Finger guns. Laters, babe. Clap in half. Adios. Goodbye. Next week on the Heart in the Bones. You know if you know of any fan fictions that were written that continue that specific storyline from season one of Angel episode eight yes. and give us a happy ending. For Buffy and, and Angel. Let mm-hmm. me have and, it.